following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Some of you may be familiar with the name Alex Honnold. Anybody know the name Alex Honnold? He's a a famous uh, mountain climber. To be more precise, he's a free climber, which means he finds mountain rock faces and he climbs up with no ropes, no safety harnesses, no nothing. It's just him and a a little bag of chalk to keep his, his grip on his hands. And he climbs up these just crazy, crazy mountains. And, and there's, there's been a few documentaries and stuff. And if you read up on him or you look him up, you'll see pictures of him hanging out like with one hand over these incredible drops that would kill him instantly if, if he were to slip even the slightest little bit with his hands. And I've, I've seen some stuff on him and, and uh, I've seen some interviews with him. And he talks about like being out on these these ledges that are, you know, an inch wide, and he's just kind of hanging on. And the question posed to him was like, are you ever scared? Which I'm thinking, I'd be terrified. And his answer, he, he just says, no, not really. He's like, I feel more comfortable up here doing this than I do crossing the street. How do you get to that place? Here's the thing. Alex Honnold has climbed mountains his entire life. He has practiced. He has worked. He has a confidence when he's on the side of a mountain that leads him to approach the climb, that leads him to approach his hold on this mountain in a completely different way than you or I would approach it. It's a confidence Throughout our letter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul has been explaining and strengthening the church's understanding of the gospel and and teaching them how to live an unwavering faith in light of the truth of that gospel. He's giving them the same kind of confidence in the truth of scripture and the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done that Alex Honnold has clinging to the side of a mountain. In today's passage, Paul is going to move from a specific command of of living out the new nature, love of Jesus Christ, the love of the gospel in the home, which we talked about last week, to now talking about how believers are to embrace our gospel-centric mission with confidence as we go about our lives in the world around us. It's a call to expand our earthly purpose to meet God's kingdom calling. And so the question that I want to pose to you before we even get into this passage is this. Is our sense of mission in our lives equal to the power and the purpose of the God we claim to serve? Paul shows us how our unwavering confidence in the gospel is going to expand our understanding of the calling that God has given us to meet the power he uses to call us to that mission. The first thing he's going to tell us, he's going to show us how in verses two through four, 
that with our confidence in the gospel, our, mission, our, our vision expands through prayer. Our vision expands through prayer. Colossians chapter four, verses two through four says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Our vision expands through prayer. Paul wants the Colossians to have a bigger vision in their hearts. He wants us to have a a bigger vision in our hearts than just our immediate context. He starts out, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. To devote yourselves to prayer is, is to have a consistent, purposeful, and faithful prayer life. It's to be persistent in prayer. In fact, in in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul writes, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. The word persistent there is the exact same word he uses in Colossians here that is translated, devote yourself. By the, the hope and patience that we have, the confidence we have in the gospel gives us a persistence in our prayer. That persistence leads us to staying alert in prayer with thanksgiving, right? Staying alert with thanksgiving, that consistent, purposeful, faithful awareness of God's presence and power in every facet of our lives leaves us grateful, right? Again, go back to to Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. When we understand who God is, when we understand what God is doing, we have a hope in him. We have a patience because we can wait on his perfect timing. And so we can be devoted in prayer, even when we don't see the answer come up right in front of us exactly the way we wanted to see it. We can be grateful that we understand God is working in ways we cannot even begin to understand. And so we can remain devoted in prayer. The psalmist in, in Psalm 106 says, Hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Listen, if we truly believed that God is good and that his faithful love endures forever, what would be the end of our patience? What would be the end of our hope? What would be the end of our devotion where we go, okay, I've tried this, I've done this long enough. It's time to move on. It's time for me to take over. The psalmist understands this. He says, praise be to God, hallelujah. Give thanks to the Lord. Live, pray, act with gratitude. Paul continues and he says, listen, you need to be devoted in prayer. Be persistent, staying alert, being aware of what God is doing around you so that you can be grateful. And he says, and and for me, pray for me. Pray for an open door for the word of God. Paul's desire here is for the message of the gospel that has already spread and has already bared fruit with the Colossians. Remember all the way back in Colossians chapter one, verse six, 
And Paul says, listen, Colossian church, the gospel message is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Paul says, I've seen this happen in your lives. I know this is happening all over the world. Pray that we will have the opportunity to see this continue, that there would be an open door for the word, that we might properly profess the mystery and the inconceivable grace of Jesus Christ in all places and under all circumstances. Paul's request for this prayer is, is not even really a request for his own work. It's a request for God's work to continue to be done, for him to have opportunity to continue to pursue God's calling on his life. It's also presenting a pattern for the Colossians and for you and me to follow because he's praying for us to be ready to seize every opportunity of kingdom work that comes our way. He wants us to seek that same Thing, that open door for the word, praying to be ready. Paul has taught this in other places in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, right after he's just talked about Christian freedom, he tells the, the, the church in Corinth, he says, listen, imitate me because he's arrogant. Is that what he's like? Imitate me. I got this all. I'm good. No, no, no. He says, imitate me. What? As I also imitate Christ. He says, your job, your calling here, that seeking of the open door for the gospel is not about you. And Paul says, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom work that God has given us. He says, pray, be devoted in prayer so that you'll be aware of what God's doing. So that you can be grateful, you can understand, you can celebrate who he is and what he's done so that you can take that into the world around you. Seeing beyond just your little part of the world, your little kingdom right around you and see the fact that God is doing a work in all places at all times. All this starts with what? Prayer. All right, how does he start? Devote yourself to prayer. See, Paul knows that prayer, in our Christian mission, prayer is our lifeline to the Lord. It is our direct communication, speaking and listening to our heavenly father. It is the means through which we hear his voice and are empowered through his Holy Spirit. In other words, prayer changes us. Paul says, be devoted in prayer. Staying alert in prayer with thanksgiving so that you can continue to pray for God's work to be done around the world so that you can see the open door for the gospel just as I have seen the open door for the gospel all through prayer. See, prayer produces in us a fertile soil in which the gospel takes root and bears fruit. Through it, God grants us a greater vision of his authority and his calling in our lives. Something greater than our human eyes, human hearts, human expectations could ever see. 
But through prayer, God continues to show us his calling, his mission, his purpose. But if we live in devoted prayer, being alert, knowing what God is doing, seeing what God is doing around us, and being grateful for that, if that's the kind of prayer that we have, then maybe we're going to hear God call us to something crazy. Maybe he's going to call you to a missions trip. Maybe he's going to call you to a job change. Maybe he's going to call you to something that from a human perspective, you're like, eh, that doesn't sound like fun. But through devoted prayer, we have a vision for what God's calling us to. Maybe you'll see God compelling you to reject some cultural norm around you. Maybe that means passing up a promotion, downsizing a house or a car, doing something that the world around you looks at and goes, that's not the American dream. But with devoted prayer, when we see what God is doing, we, we are grateful to him. And we see those crazy things. Maybe you'll see God direct you to let go of some area of sin in your life. Maybe it's a sin that you didn't even know existed or you didn't even recognize as a sin. Some forgiveness you are withholding, some secret you hold back. He's calling you to, to repent, to confess, to make right, to receive forgiveness. Things that, let's be honest, none of those are comfortable. Amen? Maybe it's just me. Okay. But see, through devoted prayer, with an alertness in what God is doing, and a gratitude for his love, his grace, his mercy. We see these seemingly crazy things that he calls us to, and we respond. Because the reality is we push back on these things, not because they don't seem Christ-like to us, but we push back on them because they don't make sense to our human sensibilities. But if we quiet our hearts, God will clearly open our hearts, our minds, and guide us through scripture, through song, through trusted advisors, through the Holy Spirit, to his vision for our lives and his love for those around us. But the question is, do our prayer lives invite God to change not just the circumstances around us, but to change us, to prepare us for what he has in store? for the mission of our lives. See, so our vision expands through prayer. Second, our witness expands with wisdom. Our witness expands by wisdom. In verse five, Paul continues here, and he says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Simple verse, right? Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Remember, Paul has just prayed for an open door for the gospel and for him to properly proclaim that with every opportunity. Now he says, okay, so what, what am I going to do and what should you do when God opens those doors for the gospel? And he begins, he says, act wisely. Literally, the 
the Greek translation is with wisdom, walk. Right? To walk, we, we, we've talked about this in different passages, to walk is to live a consistent way of life. Your walk is the way that you live. So he says, with wisdom, walk. Well, okay then. Walking is a consistent way of life. It's how we live. What is wisdom? Because that's a great church word that we throw around a lot. But sometimes we don't stop to go, okay, well, what is this really? We've been studying through Proverbs with high school students on Monday morning. And our our definition for wisdom is this. Here's a very simple, functional definition of you, for you, for wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge properly applied. Knowledge properly applied. It's the ability to evaluate the circumstances around you. People, places, things, information, right? Knowledge. And to make God-honoring decisions. That's applying that wisdom. It's knowledge and it's action. Wisdom is not about either knowledge, knowing a lot of stuff, and it's not about doing a certain thing. Wisdom is about the combination of the two. It requires that knowledge to be properly applied. So Paul says, in the way you live, Don't just know stuff. Know how you live this out in a Christ-honoring way. How to properly apply that knowledge. So walk with wisdom. Walk with wisdom what? While you're in church, while you're in Sunday school, while you're at home? No, he says walk with wisdom among outsiders. Outsiders are simply those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those outside the church, those outside the faith, those outside the family of God. So properly apply your knowledge among outsiders. Why? And he gives you the answer in the second half. He says, making the most of the time. It's kind of a weird phrase, isn't it? Making the most of it, because it really doesn't say anything. Right? Make the most of the time. What did I just tell you to do? Oh, your guess is as good as mine. Make the most of the time. We could take that and apply that in any way we want. But, but that's not what Paul means, right? Paul knows what he's talking about. To make the most of the time is actually comes from, in the Greek, a military terminology. It means to take captive the time. It's to seize every opportunity that arises This is what Paul says. Walk wisely amongst the outsiders so that you can seize every open door opportunity for the gospel. You can grab a hold of it and be ready. D.L. Moody famously said, one in a hundred will read the Bible. The other 99 will read the Christian. He takes that from Paul here. This is why you walk wisely with outsiders. Because the reality is, whatever we know, whatever head knowledge we have, no matter how many Bible verses we know, no matter how great a theological mind we may have, our knowledge means absolutely nothing in and of itself. Knowledge by itself is useless. Be the smartest person who has ever lived, and no one will ever care. 
faithfully submit to God by applying that knowledge to loving, serving, sharing his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, then I guarantee he will speak volumes through you because that knowledge is properly applied. The way we live our lives, our walk in this world, will always be our front line of evangelism. The way we live will always be the front line of evangelism. It's not the end game. But we likely won't have the chance to tell people about Jesus, to share the truth and the beauty of the gospel, if our lives look nothing like that faith that we claim we possess. If our lives don't beg the right question, nobody's going to care what we have to say. Our faithfulness in applying biblical truth to how we treat others, how we conduct our lives, will do one of two things. It will either fortify our claims in the truth of God's word, in the joy, the hope, and the salvation of Jesus Christ, or it will lump us, will lump us in with any number of empty religious zealots. The way we live, the way we live, we either fortify our claims or make us empty talkers. Our entire approach to life, to the way we handle every situation with every neighbor, every coworker, every family member, every community member, every politician, the way we approach our life must radiate the truth of the gospel. It must reflect the fact that we serve a God who knows us and loves us in ways we can't even begin to imagine. A God who created us to know him perfectly, to live in perfect harmony with him until we broke that union. Not because he didn't care enough for us, but because we were too selfish to accept his love. Our lives must reflect the fact that we understand we are broken, fallen people who are everything but perfect. Who are incapable of saving ourselves. Who are incapable of being good enough, righteous enough, doing enough nice things to make us right before our God. Our lives must radiate the truth that our God loves us so much that even knowing how broken, failed, and flawed we are, sent his son to live perfectly, to die sacrificially so he could rise victoriously and deliver us completely to that perfect presence of our father once again, not by what we can do, not by what we can offer, not by what we know, but because of Jesus Christ and his life, his death, and his resurrection. Listen. If we want to live in a way that says, no, 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 I'm a good person and I'm better than them. Or we want to live a life that says, if everybody was just more like me, the world would be a better place. If we want to live a life that says, listen, I'm not that bad. If we want to live a life that says, 
You know, there's lots of ways to get to God. If we want to live a life that says, I know I've been forgiven, but that doesn't mean I have to forgive anybody else. If we want to live a life that says anything other than what we know of the truth of the gospel, then our lives will do very little. So the question is, do our lives declare in both knowledge and action at all times the truth of the gospel? Our vision expands through prayer. Our witness expands by wisdom. Finally, our ministry expands through speech. Our ministry expands with speech. Paul ends this little section in verse six where he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. I said, the way we walk is our front line of evangelism. It's not the end game, but it's the front line. Because what has to happen is if we live in such a way that reflects the gospel, if our lives beg the question and the question comes to us, we then must be ready to speak. We must be ready to speak. Acting wisely is useless without a pattern of speech that points others back to the gospel. He says, let your speech always be gracious. Paul says it in, in Ephesians 4, verse 28, like this. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. He says, there's no place in a believer's speech for things that are characterized by the unredeemed mouth. Well, what does it mean to have a redeemed mouth? He says, if you are, your speech is always gracious, then it is what? It is seasoned with salt. Now, salt has a, a, a couple of properties. It, it preserves food. But one of the things that, that salt does is this. It brings out the flavor in the food, right? That's why we reach for that salt for our, our hamburger. It's not because it, we need to preserve the hamburger. It's because it makes it taste better. We like salt because it makes the food taste better. Salt in our speech. Salt in our speech brings flavor to our words. Just as salt on our food brings out the flavor of the food. The, the speech of a believer, your speech, my speech, the words we say, the way we talk, should be salty in a way that leaves the soul of the unbeliever with a thirst that can only be satisfied in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gracious and salty speech is more attractive to non-believers than how many Bible verses we know or how many times we've been to church. I'm guessing if you've got even a few dollars, you don't go to toddlers for financial advice. Am I wrong? Anybody? Yeah, you don't go to a toddler for financial advice. You're probably not likely to go to someone who's, who's overweight and unhealthy for, for nutritional or fitness advice. And you don't ask chronically miserable, angry, and judgmental people for a message of hope, joy, and love. 
the way we speak about all things should distinguish us from the rest of the world. This isn't just about ridding our vernacular of coarse joking and foul language, although that's part of it. But it's about actually speaking with joy, with gratitude, with enthusiasm for what God is doing in our lives and around us. And we go back to the Psalm, Psalm 103, verse two through five says, my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Do we believe that? Do we believe what this says about God? Do we believe what God tells us about himself and his word? Because if we believe these things, that he forgives, that he heals, that he redeems, that he crowns, that he satisfies, that he renews, man, what do we got to complain about? What do we have to be bitter and angry about, resentful about in this life? And that, listen, that's not making light of some of the things you've been through in your life. I'm not trying to minimize your hurt, your pain, your suffering, the things that you have had to go through. Some of you have been through stuff that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But the reality is, if this is who God is, do we, do we really believe this? Because if we do, I mean, our lives should look different. Our speech should be different because we, we get to serve, we get to know, we get to love this God. This is crucial in our lives, but it's especially important when dealing with those outside the faith. Wanting to reach others for Christ while speaking in a way that shows it makes no difference to us whatsoever will only serve to turn them away. But if, Others hear a committed devotion to God's goodness and joy that tracks with the faithful lifestyle flowing from a prayerful focus. Then those to whom God calls you to walk through that open door, man, it is game on. How do we think about applying this speech realized. Let me just give you one, one heart check for today, for this week. You ready for this? Are you sure? How much of our speech is encouragement, gratitude, and celebration? And how much of our speech is judgment, assessment, and correction? As you think this week through how you talk to your spouse, to your kids, to your friends, to your family, in your work, in your neighborhood, at the grocery store? How much of your speech is encouraging, grateful, and celebratory? And how much is judgment, assessing according to your, your standards, and correction? And then let me say this, do everything in your power to make that ratio three to one. Three statements of encouragement, of gratitude, of celebration. 
for every time you speak negativity, judgment, assessment, correction, right? Because I'm not saying there's not a time for assessment and correction, right? For even a rebuke, right? Those are, those are necessary biblically. But if that's all you're doing, I don't think you're speaking biblically. Does my speech do my words? Does the message God has given me reflect Jesus' love with every interaction? Building on that foundation we talked about last week of Christ's love, that submissive, obedient, selfless, Christ-like love, we are to live that out not just in the immediate context of our homes and, and, and what's right around us, but in the greater context of the entire world around us in which God sends us out. A proper understanding of God's love, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit's work within our hearts and our minds gives us an expanded vision of that mission through prayerful persistence. It gives us an expanded witness with a wise walk, and it gives us an expanded ministry by salty speech. Church family, may we confidently proclaim the redemption and salvation of the life, death, resurrection, and eternal reign of Jesus Christ through every thought of our mind, through every work of our hands, through every word from our mouth. And in doing so, let us be ambassadors for Christ, showing the undeniable joy, hope, peace, gratitude, love, and satisfaction that is offered to us regardless of the circumstances of our life. And make that known to those outside of the Christian faith. And may our lives point them to Christ. Because we are so distinct that the world can't help but notice that the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we interact is changed by the Holy Spirit's work in us. So much so that they look and they, they need to know more about that. They need to know, man, what is it that has set us free to be that kind of person? And maybe we'd be ready to proclaim the gospel in every open door. And listen, maybe you'll have 15 open doors this week. Maybe you'll have one. Maybe it's going to take a couple weeks before you get one. But the reality is, are we ready when God opens that door? In a moment, we're going to set our, our hearts and, and reset our minds to reflect on the truth that changes us from inside out. The truth that, that, that allows us to have that expanded vision, that expanded ministry, that expanded reach as we come together to the communion table, as we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which was given as the payment to redeem us from sin and death and welcome us into God's kingdom. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna give you some time. This is we're told we are to, to not come to the table without properly reflecting on our hearts to make sure we are prepared for this act of gratitude and reflection. 
And if you didn't get the elements as you came in, please simply raise your hand and one of our elders will bring uh, the elements to you. We just ask that you hang on to those and then we will partake together. For now, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this blessing we have of being a part of your family. And we thank you for the truth that you don't call us into your family. You don't call us into your kingdom so that we can sit around and wait till our lives over so that we can begin to celebrate with you in eternity. We look forward to that celebration, but Father, we thank you that in this life, you have given us a mission, a purpose, a calling to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey your commands as we learn to obey your commands, as we learn to be disciples. And Father, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in our little world, in our little kingdoms, and miss that bigger picture of the fact that you called us to this incredible mission, not because of who we are, not because of what we have to offer, not because we can do some things that you really need for us to do, but because you are God, and you will empower us to do what you have in store for us to do. The question is, will we submit? Will we surrender? Will we obey? Will we choose the glory of who you are over the ease and the simplicity of our human flesh? Lord, we pray that as we go out of here today, that that expanded vision of your calling would lead us to a greater awareness and preparation for the opportunities that you're going to give us. And again, we know that none of this is possible by our strength, by our power, by our abilities. It's possible only because you have provided everything we need to be made right with you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. As we prepare now to to come to uh, the communion elements together, may we, again, reset our hearts and reflect on the power of the body and blood of your Son and celebrate with gratitude the joy and the hope found and salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.